0: Hey, welcome. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Marketing Mind. On this show, I have a conversation with my friends in marketing. These experts are the best in their fields, and we dive deeper into their career journey. How did they get to this point? What were their hurdles along the way, and and where are things heading for them? My name is John Ellis. I'm a marketing professional. I've been in the digital marketing space for 20 years. and that time, I've met a lot of great people and experts. Now, you can find me on Twitter every day discussing marketing at at John W. Ellis, Join the conversation or just ask me any marketing question. If I can't help you, I know an expert who can. Now, we use these episodes to get to know these marketing experts, and often we hear them talking about left turns from where their career started, and other times it's a direct route to where they planned on being. And the journey is never the same and always has unexpected bumps along the way. Today, I look inside the marketing mind of.
1: I'm Janet Driscoll Miller. I'm the president and CEO of Marketing Mojo. We're a digital marketing company. I've been in business now for 15 years. And I'm also the author of Data First Marketing, which is a book that's coming out on September 14th of this year.
0: I've known Janet for quite some time. She's a well known expert in the digital marketing industry. Now she has this new book that I highly recommend for all marketers. So Janet and I started out our conversation talking about all the new changes of 2020, this new remote world of work and how it's working out for her and her team. Here's Janet. First
1: and foremost, the day-to-day is, like you said, remote. We're just at a point now where obviously we're all at home. We left the office on March 13th. I had told the employees a couple days before that, you know, we're going to be at home and I think home for some time. So, like, if you need a desk, take a desk. If you need a chair, take a chair. Like, go assess what you have and then take what you need. And um, I have a picture. It's really – it kind of makes me a little sad to look at it now. I have a picture of everybody in the hallway with all their monitors and stuff, Mm -hmm. carrying it down for the last time. I I always tell people we feel really blessed to be able to be working and not have to feel that that strain, but at the same time – It is a lot more work because everything is different everywhere. Virginia and Tennessee are different and what they're doing, and so you got to be like, okay, if I have if I have offices in those two places, or I have retail space in those two places.
0: But do you see yourself eventually getting back to the office, or you think you'll just forever be remote now with the team?
1: I had decided a couple weeks into this, I went ahead and I reached out to. The staff, because I was worried that they were getting, uh, sort of cabin fever, you know, I didn't know how they felt about things. So I surveyed them and just said, well, what do you guys feel like? Do you, if you could go with a hybrid model where you can work from home whenever you want, you come to the office whenever you want, or just, you know, it's here if you want it, how would you feel about that? And people were very supportive of that and then said that they'd like to work from home five days a week which I was really surprised at at that moment because, you know, we have a lot of fun at the office. We you know, we do a lot of stuff together, have lunches and all that stuff. And I think there's something about that that's really fun to have in an office setting. But I thought for sure maybe somebody would say, gosh, I'm so sick of seeing the same three people or four people. <laughs> yeah. I can't wait to get to an office and just be around other people, just to be around other people. And that was not the case. We're going to um, – have a smaller office footprint. In fact, I'm at the office today with my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're packing up a bunch of stuff. We're going to put it in storage for the next year. And, uh, we're going to find a smaller office footprint so we can have an office space. So we can use it. And I plan to come to the office. You know, I, I see this as a, as almost a, a revolution is going to happen. and You're going to have a lot less corporate office space being yeah. used. I think where people can work from home, you're going to see a lot more understanding. And we we will have proven it through this crisis that that is possible, that you can do just as effective work from home. And my biggest concern had always been that I hire a lot of folks who are young, mm-hmm. right out of college, and they need a lot of training.
0: And Instru- so I'm, Instructor.
1: Exactly. And it's, as you know, like when we talk about virtual learning and stuff, it can be very difficult to teach everything through virtual learning. So it can be really helpful to have that one-on-one, just sitting with someone and going through things. Um, So that's one reason we decided we do still want to have some office space. That way we can at least meet or we can have clients come in if we want. But we don't need a big, big office. I mean,
0: from a work standpoint, we're like, what, what are you, uh, where are you focusing these days?
1: So, you know, we focus primarily on search engine optimization and, uh, digital advertising. And we've done that since the beginning. Uh, so my agency's been in business now for 15 years. It's hard to believe. It makes me yeah. sound like an old lady. But, <laughs> uh, 15 years. And so we also do analytics. And now with, uh, um, I have, as you know, the book coming out. Yes. later this year, it's going to be mid-September, about September 14th, is uh, we focus on something called data-first marketing, which is really helping clients. We do audits and, and retainers around this, but uh, to help clients make sure they're measuring every part of their campaign correctly because I got to say, after 15 years of doing this, I have rarely found, if ever, I can't even think of one client, be it big or small, that in 15 years had their analytics set up correctly. (laughs) It's really, yeah. uh, I'm sure you see it too.
0: No, yeah, yeah. And we've, uh, I think we worked together on a few projects over the years. It's refreshing sometimes when, like, for instance, go to a conference and you sit down with someone and talk about how you're set up and how they're set up. You realize, oh no, they're just as screwed up as we are. They don't have their they don't have their act together either. You you yeah. you kind of see stuff and you you kind of you kind of picture the perfect setup and the perfect analytics and from MQLs to Salesforce to Marketo and everything's perfect and you're collecting points and all this stuff and you realize oh no it's not just us everyone's struggling to get it right because as all a lot of the stuff you pointed out in your book there is. There's all sorts of hiccups and hurdles along the way from at the executive level to you know marketers and analytics and so much. It's 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 hard. It's very hard.
1: It is hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah,
0: right? yeah. So the book itself. How did that? Uh, before we get to the details, how did that come about?
1: Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Well, first, I knew I wanted to write a book, and so I was you know kind of hemming and hawing about it about what I wanted to do. And then, uh, interestingly, I went to a lecture at UVA by um, the woman who wrote Hidden Figures, Margaret Lee Shetterly. Okay. And just I was just interested to hear what she had to say. And what was really um, fascinating about her, she um, was a UVA graduate from the uh, Commerce School there. And she had a successful career on Wall Street and done some other things, but she was not a writer. She was not really an author in any way, but um, she grew up in um, the Hampton Roads area of Virginia and of course Langley Air Force, or Langley is down there. Her, Her dad had worked there and he told her all these stories about these women who were in Hidden Figures. And she thought, you know, these stories need to be told. So she wrote a book proposal. It immediately was picked up by uh, a publisher. In fact, before she even wrote the book, uh, she said that the movie rights were purchased right off the book proposal. And I was like, wow, this is so wow. impressive. Here's someone who's never written a book before. She writes a book proposal, and someone does find that interesting and compelling enough that they're willing to publish her book. So I got a little inspired from that. And I thought, you know, let me try to write a book proposal. Let me just see what I can get. And so I went to Wiley Publishing, which is a very popular publisher for um, for our industry type of books. And um, we wrote a book proposal, and they liked it, and we got a book deal, which was just really exciting.
0: Can I step back a little bit? You had mentioned UVA, but you didn't go to UVA, right? Or i did not to
1: go to UVA. I went to James Madison University, which is about an hour of the road from okay.
0: UVA. Okay. What was the plan there? What did you study?
1: <laughs> well, I started off. <laughs> I was a... I asked that, I,
0: I asked that because in our industry, it's always a funny story. Everybody's like, it well... Is I, always fun- I, I've heard people tell me, well, I was going to be an engineer, I was going to be <laughs> okay. this, and it's like, oh, okay.
1: Yeah, everyone has a very interesting way, the path that they got to... Well, especially with,
0: well, with what do you, we do, because because we're roughly the same age it's not like there was a lot of digital marketing when we went no. to school
1: there was nothing you yeah. we went there like i had i remember having an email on something called the vax system <laughs> when we went to, and it was like orange lettering uh on a black background so i went to jmu when i started there i was a biology and chemistry double major uh which might have me committed. That was ridiculous. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> I Man, but I do love, I do love science and I do love math. But at one point, doing a project with a friend who was a communications major and I enjoyed it so much that I was like, yeah, this is the kind of creativity and fun stuff I could see myself doing for the long term. And I wasn't really as excited about science. Uh, and, and pursuing that anymore. It's not that I didn't love it. I just didn't know if I could do it for my whole life. I switched my major halfway through my junior year and uh, changed the communications. Uh, it's interesting because it's a very, very big pivot from being in science. But I do credit that with like being in science and math with making me love things like uh, data right. and really trying to pull down data. But yeah, I started there and then after college was, I think that you and I, John, came out of school in a time that was very fortuitous for us because we were there at the beginning. We were really there in the beginning of the World Wide Web and, yeah. and really just seeing the beginnings of, yeah, we, so I came out of school and in my very first job out of college, I got a call to be on a focus group for this new thing called a search engine. <laughs> this was in 1994. I went over to be in this focus group, and it was a little-known search engine called Yahoo.
0: I was going to say Overture, but close. Yeah. <laughs> Same yes. thing.
1: And uh, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And I, I really had a, an immediate love for the Internet and, and for the World Wide Web. And then just really over time, I felt like it started... I started to pursue more, um, anything I could get my hands on. I learned how to program. I, and then when, when there was more advertising being introduced and so forth, more marketing being introduced with the World Wide Web, I was there to learn about it because it was just very exciting to me. And it really married two things I really love, the technical side of things, uh, with the creative side of things. And so, uh. That's where I got my
0: start. Yeah. What? Did, let me step back a little bit. I'm just curious. What did you? Because you came in with the plan of doing heavy science. Like in your mind, in your mind at that time, what was the career path, or did you did you even know?
1: I was going to be a heart surgeon. Wow. Um, that's what <laughs> I really wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Not doing that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: no, 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 you're not. So you went from that to now being an author of data first marketing. So this new version of marketing, well, new to many, new to those who are traditional non-data marketers, where roles have changed and the emphasis on data from the bottom all the way to the top, to the executive level. This book sort of spoke to me a lot. So, so, so good, good on you. Cause Thank it's you. like, I feel like, uh, and part of it's just, you know, you preaching to the choir, uh, some of it, but. What is the role of the, I guess, CMO in all this now?
1: Yeah, so, and this has been a tough one. I think there's, we're finally getting to a point where CMOs are probably a little bit better educated about digital. But in the early days, I'd say 10, 15 years ago, that was a real struggle. Um, yeah. A lot of CMOs, because just because of the, the maturity and, and level, uh, you know, experience level, um, had not grown up professionally using digital. And so I think it can be hard to lead a digital team when you don't feel confident in what you're leading yeah. or what you should be asking, what questions you should be asking. And so I think we're getting beyond that now. But at the same time, CMOs really do need to step up and realize that they are a major part of the organization. Um, I think oftentimes, again, marketing is I don't want to say belittle, but like they're not yeah. as respected in the organization as they should be. I think you. I
0: think you reference in the book they're they're not looked at as a, a revenue department. That's right. More of an expense exactly. expense department.
1: Yeah, you're spending money. You don't generate revenue. Yeah, and that, I think that's how they're viewed. You spend money. Um, that's really not the case. You know, without marketing, you wouldn't have leads that went to the sales team for them to close. Uh, and so marketing is a really essential portion of the business, but it's time for CMOs to talk more about, we talk a lot about being data-driven, right? But that's a lot of talk. And everyone says, yeah, yeah, I know I should measure back to ROI, but they're still not doing it. And right. so how do we get to that point? And even if you can't get all the way there immediately, we've got to get as close to ROI as we can um, to really prove that worth. Uh, of the organization, but also, um, to really understand as marketers where our investments should be made. You know, we don't want to sp- throw good money after bad.
0: Yeah, it feels like there's, there's sort of t- two sides of the, the struggle. One is just the tech side is little things like, uh, make sure you're tagging everything properly. And I think, I think one of your examples, for instance, was, you know, you use uppercase sometimes, you use lowercase sometimes, be consistent with your, little things like your UTM tags and all these little things you just have to do. And otherwise you're not, you don't have good source source and uh channels and you don't know where everything's coming from. But the other side of that, it's just this, it definitely feels like it almost the political side of it. the, the getting, getting the company buy in and, and educating. And I mean, I've done so many PowerPoints over the years to the executive teams and can sort of convincing them and getting them on board. Is that what you're seeing now? It's more, I mean, not now, but this whole time it's it's more of an education process as much as oh, it is t- technical
1: it is definitely that I mean I think it's twofold it's not only you know educating the executive team and really helping them understand what marketing brings and how they can how marketing can be a, an influential uh, business partner uh, through everything that the business is trying to achieve but also uh, the CMO also has this really other daunting task of of running the marketing organization and to make sure the people they have are well-trained. But also you and I talked a little bit about mindset. Like they have to have the right mindset to be able to not be afraid of failure, not be afraid of testing, to ensure that you're going to keep on striving to get the best results you can. Um, And that's not easily... It's not something that's easy to come by that mindset and so um the cmo has a very important task in all this it's twofold it's the executives and it's running the team and uh and really making sure your team is prepared and i think there's a lot of people too who uh assume falsely that folks who come out of college just know this digital stuff and that's really not the case Um, there's a study in the book. Actually, I'm pretty sure you probably know Scott Cowley. He's now a professor, Uh I think, at Western Michigan University. He did study and uh, looking at at digital marketing education, uh, analytics, advertising, and so forth in undergraduate programs, business programs in the United States. And it's just shocking how few marketing programs uh, in undergrad in uh, business programs in the United States, it's just there's a lack of, of digital marketing at all. To assume that, that folks come out of college and they're really well prepped to take on digital marketing roles is really a fallacy.
0: Right. How do you even build a team knowing that uh, getting the right people on board and knowing who, or maybe you don't, maybe you just get get people on board and then and then train them to uh, mm-hmm. to be data first mindset.
1: That's really what I had to do in my organization. So I, I hired mostly folks right out of college. I trained them. That meant that there was a lot of turnover. There's a lot of people, you know, when you're young and you're right out of college, you don't normally stay in a job for right. five or six years. And so there's a lot of turnover, which can be costly, and exhausting <laughs> to do all that training and then I think the other thing that's been challenging is you know in some cases you have certification programs like you know the Google Ads certifications that makes it a lot easier I think for some folks who are maybe like an in-house CMO to say uh, I can trust that this person generally knows something about Google Ads because they have this certification that's provided by Google and they've gone through a certain amount of training they've taken a test but as you and I know, there's not really any SEO certification, <laughs> not one that I would recommend. And you know, so there's many different facets of digital marketing. Where what kind of training do you trust? If you if someone's had that training, do you feel like it was solid training? And so there are very few organizations like Google who actually do provide their own certifications like that. And So it's it's tough. It's tough to know how to hire. You really almost have to train them yourself. And then where do you go for that training? Who do you rely on? And I get asked that question a lot. I I give an SEO workshop pretty frequently for Digital Summit uh, around the country. And people ask me regularly, if I want to train my team, where can I go? And there's definitely some resources out there I'd like to share. but But generally speaking, there's... Not one place you can go to get all of the training you want and that it's all up to date and that it's all, uh, accurate in some ways or thorough. So it can be a real difficult thing to try and train people.
0: Far be for me to, uh, tell you what to do, but then maybe a, <laughs> maybe I will turn this, uh, new book of yours into some kind of, um, certification training module, because I think there's a yeah. lot here. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was, you know, it was so many things to learn over those 15 years that I've been running this agency. And, you know, every industry, large businesses, small businesses, they all have this problem. It's not unique to just small businesses or Retail businesses, it's, it's everyone faces these same challenges. One of the most important things that a marketing team can do is have conversations with their sales team and really agree to these different measurements. One thing I like to tell salespeople is I'm here to make your job easier because most salespeople make commission. Right. Right on every sale. So I'm here to make you money. So let me make you money. <laughs> that's what we really want to do here. But there are a lot of folks who are hesitant. I mean, I have an example right now where I have a client who we hooked up their HubSpot is hooked up to their Salesforce. And we, we bought in some leads from LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a really great B2B uh, advertising platform, by the way. I mean, just really high quality mm-hmm. leads. They cost more typically per, um, per lead, but you know they're in your sweet spot or your, your target audience. So we brought in some leads and I'm looking at them in, in HubSpot. I see one of the leads has been sitting there for two weeks and the salesperson never followed up with them. There's issues where, and I know it's a lot of times there's a battle between sales and marketing. Sales is not perfect <laughs> and they mess yeah. things up. right? And they don't want to admit that, but they that sales process is critical. And if they're not getting it right, you could be sending them lots and lots of leads that they're not following up with or they're not following up with properly. I mean, you may remember my email from the book where I think there was an email in there that said. Was um, that the
0: high high school reference?
1: Yes, yes. the creepy one. Yes. Where they, he's like, Janet, I see you went to Mills Godwin High School. And I was like, uh, dude. (laughs) <laughs> That's a little too much, right? Yeah. Like, um, but then there's another one where the guy says, um, "You haven't followed up with me, so either A, you've fallen in a well and cannot get out, and if so, uh, I'll send help, or B, you're just not interested." And I'm like, "Do these emails really work with with customers? I don't see how they really work. Um, <laughs> but they don't work with me. I don't. I'd be surprised if they work with anybody. So."
0: So what's the uh, so what's the details on that? When, when's the book come out, and the, how, how do you get it, and all this stuff?
1: So great question. So it's supposed to my latest, <laughs> supposed to my, it's supposed to come out um, September fourteenth is oh. the drop date, and it is already available today for pre order on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and some other places as well. Um, and we have a website you can go to. It has all the places you can order from. Excellent. Um, called data-firstmarketing.com.
0: So, Janet, here we are at the end of our time together. So you mentioned 15 years. So we're still young and so much more to learn. But for now, what advice would you give someone young, maybe someone in college who really wants to be where you are 15 years from now?
1: First thing I would say is read my book.
0: <laughs> of course, of course, that's a given. Because
1: I, I think it's good for, for young people to read the book, uh, especially people starting out in their career, so they can understand what they need to know. Because I think that they don't always have the leadership there and they also don't have necessarily the background from college that they can rely on to understand how all the pieces fit together. Um, so I would definitely say the book is is key. You know, I think that there, there's there been a lot of good books I've read over my lifetime. I think that one thing that young people need to know is don't be afraid to fail and don't be afraid to speak up because um, I think a lot of people, because they're afraid to fail, don't want to look bad in front of their boss when they're young. Um, but really, you can be a shining star. You can come out looking amazing like a hero if you just... Position yourself correctly in what you have to say, and you bring up the right points. And if you say it in the right way, if you if you show your organization the value that you bring and that the marketing organization brings to the bottom line, you know and that's really critical. You can be a superstar, absolutely. If you and you can rise in your organization, no matter no matter how large it is, um, if you just focus on the right
0: things. And if it's, if it's data first points, all the better.
1: That's right.
0: Hey, Janet, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm glad we finally had a chance to have this conversation and listeners, Thank you for being a part of today's episode. I encourage you to check out her latest book. It's available in all the major outlets. As she mentioned, you can find more details at data-firstmarketing.com. As always, I appreciate you making this part of your podcast routine. Be sure to subscribe. So you're the first to know these new episodes If you haven't yet, leave me a comment in Apple Podcasts or however you are listening. I'd love to hear from you. Of course, reviews and stars are always helpful. As always, you can find this podcast on all the major channels. Join the discussion online. Let's talk even more marketing. You can find me on Twitter today and every day at John W. Ellis. Thanks again, and we'll talk soon.